0: Hi, I'm John. And I'm Julie.
1: We're the hosts of the Hartford Fund's Human-Centric Investing Podcast.
0: Every other week, we're talking with inspiring thought leaders to hear their best ideas for how you can transform your relationships with your clients. Let's go. I'm really excited to hear what Coach Wright has to share with us today about teams.
1: Me too, Julie. And with that, let me introduce Coach Jay Wright. Coach Wright is the William B. and endowed head coach for Villanova men's basketball. In 20 seasons as head coach, Jay has guided the Wildcats to new heights, including NCAA national championships in both 2016 and 2018. He's a two-time winner of the Naismith National Coach of the Year Award, and in 2019 became the first men's coach in Big East history to be selected as the league's coach of the year six times. In 2018, Jay received the John R. Wooden Legends of Coaching Award, and in January 2020, was named the Associated Press Men's College Basketball Coach of the Decade. This past summer, he was part of the coaching staff for Team USA Basketball, who won the gold at the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. And on September 11, 2021, Jay was inducted to the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame. Jay's book, Attitude, which was published in 2017, was a New York Times bestseller. With that, I want to welcome Coach Jay Wright to the podcast today.
2: You know what's pretty cool, John, is that we're doing this podcast, and we have such a great relationship with Hartford Funds. Hartford Funds has sponsored our podcast uh, that we do, Talking Villanova Basketball with Jay Wright, and we uh, we, we love this relationship uh, that we've had for um, over six years here between Hartford funds and Villanova. So it's good to do it back, right? We, we do, we do your podcast.
0: Absolutely. And we're delighted to have you here. And I know I personally have been looking forward to this conversation for weeks and it's so nice to see you here with us today. As you, you know, coach, Wright, I'm very passionate about teams, teams of different shapes and sizes and styles. And I'm curious today, i'll just dive into the heart of the matter what from your perspective is the big the biggest challenge when it comes to creating a a great high-performing team
2: well i I love that julie that you there's a position that you have with with, within an organization that, that that helps team building you know that because it's such a it's such a unique challenge i think in our society now um maybe me and john not you julie but in our era, it was kind of easier to build teams. There was a coach, there was a leader, and you did what the coach told you to do, and and it was easy to put a team together. It's it's not, it's not so much that that way anymore. And um, in 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 building a team now, one of the things that we do, and um, maybe differently than the last time I spoke with you guys. We actually explain to our players the value of being a part of a team. Explaining to them that you actually can be your best personal self if you give to others and if you are a part of something bigger than yourself. You know, in the past we used to talk about team, assuming that young people knew what the benefit of a team was. But we find so many of the people that come to us their whole basketball careers you know we get them when they're 18 but their entire basketball careers they've been told you know it's it's about you it's it's about you getting a scholarship it's about you being the best player on the team it's about you getting exposure and getting recruited it's about you getting to the NBA and it's never been look the way you can accomplish that is to be a part of a team and actually think about others and make others around you better. And that can actually be your best path towards accomplishing your personal goals. So explaining the value of team is our new greatest challenge. Wow, that's
0: fascinating. And I think you're so right that oftentimes the why behind what we're doing is missed. And we all assume that we all have that in our our minds and we're all coming from the same place. So I think that's such an incredible improvement to your process. Outside of explaining the why and really defining team and making that truly a part of your culture, um, what are some other secrets in your mind to creating a great team?
2: Well, I'm glad you gave me a chance to to back up on that because, you know, I, I didn't I didn't want to pass that by because I wouldn't be truthful because I really believe anything that we do after. It, Anything we do without explaining that now really doesn't hold any value because you know the, the young people we get are saying, "Well, I, hey, I'm I'm here for me. You know what? <laughs> this is a, about me." So after we explain that, I think the the most important and, and probably the most difficult challenge is building trust between between the team members and also and and most importantly trust between the leadership and the and the team the players itself that that is that takes time and 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 i think the the players and the staff evaluate each other based on our actions you know we we have a a saying that your actions speak so loudly i i can't hear what you say and and as a leader uh i i always tell our staff but i always try to remind myself every decision that you make as a leader and every situation good or bad dealing with success or failure is an opportunity to create trust within your organization so you know we know you can have difficult decisions to make or you can have difficult challenges to take on as a leader and and you can you can win that battle short-term but i think you always have to recognize how is this decision going to be perceived by my team and by my staff and is this decision or this approach to the challenge is this going to be consistent with the culture we're trying to build and a, a culture of trust so sometimes you might have to take a short short-term loss on a decision you know or or, or a t- taking on a challenge in our case sometimes it's a game believe it or not um you know john and i were talking uh off air about we we have these preseason scrimmages where we're allowed to play a team uh we're actually not allowed to talk about it. we're actually allowed to play a team in a scrimmage situation game where no fans no one's allowed but they're great opportunities for us as a coach to uh pro- Put into effect what we demand of our players, the concepts that we want uh, them to adhere to, and maybe lose. But make decisions during the game. If guys aren't doing the things that we know long-term are going to help us, or even myself, if I'm not being consistent with what I say that I'm demanding, I've got to be consistent, even if it costs us losing. We scrimmaged Rutgers last weekend, and there were a lot of situations where I thought, you know what, I could let this go. We might we might win, you know, this part of the scrimmage, but I gotta take this guy out and set an example and let him know that 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 this is not how we play that situation. So that the building of that trust is is monumental.
1: Given your experience in college athletics all these many years, I imagine that, well, just by the nature of your business, you're dealing with new teams all the time, right? As as kids graduate, move on, and your new recruits come in. Is there anything unique about some of those teams? And and let me just ask specifically, I mentioned some of those national championships, the 2018 National Championship Team. When you look back, were there certain things that come into your mind that you think uh, were the secret to their success as a team or your secret to your successes of that team?
2: Yeah, definitely. You know, John, we, 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 talk about our core values, you know, in, in, our program and, and, um, and it's, it's, it's what I was referring to when we, when we play scrimmages, like I, I have, as a coach, I have to be committed to our core values. Um, and, and to answer your question about those teams, anytime, I think any of us have success, we, we have very talented people around us. Right. But, but the, and we, There have been other teams we've had here who are very talented, um, but maybe they didn't completely buy in to our core values as well as those teams did. And um, those teams, even though they were talented, and sometimes when you're talented individually, it's difficult to buy into the core values of a team because you recognize hey i'm i i can there's some things i can do by myself and be really successful but um one of our terms here is everyone's role is different but everyone's value is the same Um, everyone gets treated the same they have the same status no matter what their role is so you 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 know in business you might have high performers right and we have leading scores but on those 16 and 18 teams the leading scores and the stars were the most committed to our core values and they weren't committed to individual success and then they that trickled down through the team and um that we you know we've had some other teams where you know the the best players were were committed to core values but not to the level of 16 and 18 and 18 Ryan Archidiakono was a, I mean, six, 16. Ryan Archie Diacono was a senior. Daniel Cheffer was a senior. Those guys set the tone. And what was really interesting was the young guys on that team, Jalen Brunson was a freshman. Mikael Bridges was a sophomore. Josh Hart was a sophomore. Those young guys, and then in 18, when they became upperclassmen and they became the stars, they learned from the guys that came before them how to do that. Instead of saying, it's my turn to be the star. They said, I watched Ryan Archidiacono and Daniel Cheffo. I watched when they were stars, they were unselfish and committed to the team. So now when I'm the star, I want to do the same because I see they benefited from that individually.
1: So it's part of the culture.
2: Exactly. And, And that's, you know, it, there's a lot of trust there, like we talked earlier. You know, when when you get to be the star, you gotta trust that, okay, I'm the star, I might be the highest paid in the company. And yes, yes, I'm I'm needed and I'm valued, but so is everybody else. I, I'm I'm not I'm I'm not as good by myself as I am if I'm with everybody else. And I have to show the, the, my impact as the leader on everything I do and my commitment to the core values is going to impact everybody greatly.
0: I think that culture of respect is is such an incredible way to view the world. And I know in your book, Attitude, you, you specifically talked about how each person has a role to play and no one role is more valuable, whether it's the bus driver or the star player or a member of the coaching staff. And I, I love how you framed Instilling that that culture of trust and respect once an individual has joined the team. I'm curious How do you ensure that the players you're selecting and bringing on as as new additions to the team will be strong team players? I'm sure you've you've uh, gone through this process so many times for the decades and what are your words of wisdom on that uh, on that process?
2: It's funny Julia what what you mentioned The bus driver is a great example. We, We get our team bus drivers got two and say national championship rings, and and one of our most enjoyable experiences when our team was able to present him with the ring, and let him know how valuable he was to all of us, right? And um, that it always happens a freshman, a freshman star comes on our team, right? And uh, When he first gets there, he thinks he's a star. We're all lucky to have him there, which we are. But in practice, one of the managers, you know, come out when there's sweat on the floor and he'll run out and wipe up the sweat at his feet. You know, he'll look down at him like, this is crazy. And, and, you know, we'll all say to him like, Hey, did you, did you thank him for wiping up that sweat? Like, and, and, you know, the, the kid's always taken back at first. He kind of looks at, well, that's his job. I'm the star He's supposed to wipe up my sweat, you know, but then they they learn, you know, that that's valuable. And we respect that guy for that, for that role. And to answer your question, we use our, our players and, and, and us as a staff, as we're recruiting and recruiting in college basketball is very competitive as it is, you know, in the business world, you know, we're out there, you know, recruiting against the Dukes, the Kentuckys, and they, they, they can show these guys a lot of bells and whistles and, we don't want a guy that's going to make the decision based on that. Now we have to have the bells and whistles too, but we want him to make his decision based on whether he's going to come to the program based by explaining to him our core values and, and how we're going to educate him about being a part of a team and how that's going to benefit him. And when he comes and visits, we have him spend time with our players. We show him some of these things I'm explaining to you, a practice and show him our guys thanking the guy wiping up the sweat and showing him how we treat people and m- having him experience that. And, and, you know, he might go to another school and they might treat him like a king while he's there. Right. And, and if, if we want him to make the decision based on seeing the reality of what we are, but we also want him to spend time with our players away from us. And then we meet with our players And we ask our players, is he gonna be able to fit into our culture? Because rarely do we get somebody, rarely, now sometimes we're fortunate, we do, that gets all of these concepts and these core values. Just like if you hire someone, they're they're not gonna get exactly what Hartford Funds is all about coming in. They're gonna, but you have to ask your people and then you have to judge, do they have a good heart and are they open, are they gonna be open to learning and changing? We have another term that we use and we tell them this when we're recruiting, you become us, we don't become you. So you, you don't come into the program and then we change the program based on your abilities. You come into the program and you learn our culture and then once you learn it, your abilities become accentuated within our culture.
1: So coaches, uh, as I hear you talk about the secrets of putting together these great teams, uh, talk a little bit about your experience in Tokyo coaching the Olympic team. Now there, we have some of the best individual players in the world coming together to play as a team. And you didn't have that much time, right, to kind of meld them together. Were there any secrets or anything that you as part of that coaching staff kind of did to bring those those guys together to create that gold medal winning team?
2: You know what, John, this, that's, it's an incredible, I could probably spend an entire podcast talking about this. Winning the gold medal this summer, I was assistant coach. Obviously Greg Popovich was the head coach. Steve Kerr from the Golden State Warriors was the other assistant coach. And Lloyd Pierce, uh, who was with the uh, head coach Atlanta Hawks, and now is with the Pacers, but we were the staff. But, so I was only an assistant, but still being an assistant, it was the greatest coaching experience I've ever had in my life. Um, the most fulfilling I've ever had because the challenges were incredible. Tokyo was, was under emergency conditions with COVID. Uh, so we were quarantined for 37 days. We started in Las Vegas, our training camp. Our fam- we couldn't be with, our families couldn't come. And I, I originally agreed to coach the Olympics and the World Cup. Well, because I thought my family could come to the Olympics. I thought it would be nice, you know. But, you know, it, when Tokyo announced that, you know, they're not going to have any fans and no one from out of the country can can come to the games, the, the challenges just started to begin. So these players, as you mentioned, you know, the highest paid players in the world, the greatest players in the world, they're, they're locked. We were locked in a hotel for 37 days first in Las Vegas for training camp. And then when we went to Tokyo, we couldn't even go outside. We weren't even allowed outside. So that was a challenge. Also, the NBA season, because of the previous year with COVID, was prolonged and went into July when the Olympics started. So we we had three players from our team, um, Chris Middleton from Milwaukee Bucks, Drew Holiday from the Milwaukee Bucks and Devin Booker from the Phoenix Suns, they played in the NBA finals in July while we were in Las Vegas training. After the NBA finals, the three of them, now they had played against each other in the finals, got on a plane and flew 14 hours to Tokyo and came in at 2 o'clock in the morning on the day of our first game. So the challenges were incredible, but To answer your question about what were the secrets, what was amazing was we, you know, we had grown men, professionals, guys that make $40 million a year, locked in a hotel for 37 days, just doing basketball. And, and we went through some adversity because in our, our leading scorer uh, from the Washington Wizards tested positive. for COVID, he he got sent home. Then um, we had other guys that were, Kevin Love got hurt, he had to go home. We had guys like Chris Paul who was gonna play for the team, he got hurt in the playoffs so he couldn't play. So we had all this adversity and we're locked together in, in a hotel and the closeness and the sacrificing that everyone, did because we were forced to be together was incredible. And it pulled us through it. And I normally, normally, if you're at the Olympics and we had been in the world cup a couple years before, you know, when you come out of the hotel, there's thousands of people waiting for these NBA guys, autographs and the guys are going out at night and they're all, you know, they're enjoying the, the thrills of being an NBA player in a foreign country and but no one could do that. We All we could do was practice together, watch film together, eat meals together, hang out together. We became so close that literally, and, and when we lost some games early, the USA team never loses, but people didn't know what we were going through. We were getting criticized and we were, we were in this hotel looking at all the social media and ESPN, everybody criticizing Popovich, criticizing Kevin Durant, criticizing Draymond Green. It just brought us closer and closer to the point where when we won the gold medal, there was literally grown men crying. We were so, we we had been through so much together and we were so close. And all of us, you know, said like, this is one of the greatest accomplishments we've been a part of. And our coaching staff to this day now, Jeff Van Gundy, uh, Ime Adoke, is the coach of the Celtics, and those guys were there with us supporting us, part of our staff. You didn't see them on the bench, but all of us keep a, a text thread to this day. And every time we text each other, we just, the first word we, we vowed we were gonna say to each other is always gold. So it was one of the great experiences of, of, a, of a coach's lifetime.
0: You mentioned coach Greg Popovich a moment ago, and obviously arguably one of the greatest coaches of all time what lessons or uh, words of wisdom did you pick up from him during your very intense time together in Tokyo? Uh,
2: A a lot. I I hope I'm a a much better coach. Um, This this was about a a five-year commitment, Julie. So we, Coach uh, Popovich and I started about five years ago preparing the 2016 team with Coach Shashevsky, we coached the select team, which was the young NBA guys that practiced against the 16 Olympic team to get them ready for the Olympics. And then we watched Coach K and how he prepared. And then we coached the World Cup, which was in China in 2019 and prepared for that. And then obviously the Olympics were supposed to be 20. So we prepared for 20 and then they got canceled. So then we had to do it all over again at 21. So it was five years with them, which was invaluable and and um personally uh again a great experience we developed a a, a, an incredible relationship and friendship but to watch him as a leader um number number one so you know the guy's gonna be great right he's one of the coaches the greatest of all time so you're going in with high expectations it's difficult for him to it would have been difficult for him to impress me because I was already thinking he's he's the best and but from the first day that we met before the 19 mm-hmm. Gold Cup, um, his his preparation and attention to detail was by far the best I've ever seen. In you know, I study business people like John, and I and and I, I watch them do their work, but we had a a staff meeting in San Antonio uh, in June before the the World Cup, and uh, he had every possible detail covered, and and prepared for us, our staff before we came in there. Even we were playing in China that year, even um, all term, terms that we should know in Chinese, that that we would need in basketball and and in, in in going to restaurants and, and, in, in, and in hotels. He had in every city we were going to listed the best restaurants in each city. And then the detail of basketball wise, and for all of us who were, everybody's an NBA coach, and then myself, I was the only college coach, but he had every change in FIBA rules as compared to NBA, as compared to college, every game situation that would come up that would be different for us based on the rules. Um, he had the rosters of all the teams on every team we were playing set up, scouting set up for each one. Now, he went to the Air Force Academy, so, and I had been with Coach K too, who went to West Point, and I was always amazed at his level of preparation. And they're very, both of them were very close in in that way, but. Um, after that, as I just explained to you our story about what what had happened to us, I, I I can't share everything, but it was daily, there was a crisis. You know, we all know this in business, right? Um, we We use a term here, you know every day you come into the, to the office, expect problems. know that that's gonna be your pro, your that's going be your day is is um, attacking these problems and these challenges, right? That's what we do as leaders. But every day there was a crisis, you know, where, you know, somebody tested positive for COVID. Somebody said they weren't gonna be able to make the team. Um, somebody's agent wasn't happy with how they're being used on the team. Um, they, you know, they were talking about maybe canceling the Olympics, you know. Uh, the the plane wasn't gonna get there in time to, to get us, you know, to Tokyo when we needed to be. Um, New levels of testing, um, contact tracing. Guys were out, so you don't you don't have enough guys to practice today. You know, this guy gets hurt every day. His ability to attack a problem, stay positive, keep everybody united, and and see that the leader is not daunted. He, he gave it. Now, now we were, as I said to you, quarantined. So just amongst us, sometime his guys we'd have a glass of wine late at night and you could see he was, it was killing him, but he never let anybody else see it during the day. His ability to lead under pressure was amazing.
0: I'm fascinated by the level of preparation and organization. And I was, I'm just curious, you know, based upon that specific best practice, is there any part of his process that you've implemented or enhanced what you are already doing? Um, as you look ahead to this season, after spending so much time with him and soaking up some of that wisdom,
2: yeah, definitely, Julie. I'm a, i am aii am a I'm a hands-on guy. I I, um, I, I I have a we we have a great staff here. We 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 really do, and and I trust them. Um, but I think I learned from him more um, to delegate better um, man he even with our coaching staff um, when we did scouting reports for our opponent um, the level of responsibility that he gave us i want to I do that more with our staff um, I, I don't you know i don't feel like i give our staff as much responsibility as he gave us now He's working with head coaches, you know, that are his assistants. But he—he—I I, could—he had his staff was with us too. He does the same with with his staff. And and I know, I, as we all know in in leadership, he he did an amazing job. And this is what I'm trying to take with my staff of giving us our say. Like he wouldn't make a decision without all of us giving our point, where we really felt like he he. He trusted our opinions, but he had a way of making it very clear that he was making the decision, but but many times it was your, your suggestion as an assistant uh, or in a scouting report, your plan, he was putting it into effect, but he did it in a way where you felt like it was your idea, but it was really clear he was in charge and really clear that he was he was the leader it, it was and i'm trying to do that here with my team better um and and I, I don't know if it's his charisma or his he's a big guy he's a strong guy he's a tough guy but i just i've never seen anyone um delegate as much give his staff as much say but still clearly remain in charge
1: Coach, a couple of minutes ago, you were talking about pressure and I want to change gears a little bit. I mean, sometimes pressure is from forces we never saw coming, but other times pressure is something that we see coming. And I, I the, the, where I want to go to is the madness of March Madness, which you have to contend with every spring, right? So how does the pressure of something like March Madness impact a team, even a team that's been Cruising along, let's say through the, the through the season, but now you know you talked about the crucible in Tokyo. But in a similar way, I'm guessing you experience that every March with your teams that are now in the focus of March Madness. What are some of the things that you share with your teams as you begin that process of the March Madness uh, tournament? And and you know what takeaways do you really want to impart to them so that they play the kind of game? that you've envisioned them playing
2: yeah that, that's a great question john and, and i i can't answer that without referring to the olympics because uh and i'll get to the march madness part but i always thought as you said nick march madness is crazy and you can and we've we've done this you could have a year where you're the number one seed you had the greatest team of any any team all year long in the country which which should mean the most you know over 32 games, you ended the season number one, but you you lose in the second round of the NCAA tournament, and perceptually your entire season was a failure. That's that is a lot of pressure, and but not as much pressure, and I didn't know it until I went through it, is when you're the head coach of USA basketball. There's no, there's no excuses. It it's just you either win the gold. Or you're a total failure. And if you win the gold, there's no there's no applause or recognition. It's just all right. That's what you're supposed to do. And 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 if you're if you're into it for recognition, then you shouldn't be you shouldn't be into it. You know, um, if if you're doing what you do for for outside recognition and praise, you're in it for the wrong reasons and it's kind of the same thing we try to impart upon our players when it comes to the NSA tournament, that, that we, we've, we use a term, we practice every day to create habits that are going to make us successful in the most difficult situations. So every day, everything we're doing, it's not just to win the game or to win that drill in practice. It's create habits that, when we're in the NCAA tournament and all the pressure's on us, and when you're a high seed, when you're a number one seed or a two seed, um, and you're playing in the NCAA tournament, and it happened to us in Philadelphia one year, we were a one we were a one seed. We we're playing a sixteen seed. It was Monmouth, and they were making a comeback on us. that was getting close in the second half, and we're in Philadelphia, and the whole place turned on us because in the NCAA tournament, everybody loves the underdog. So we're literally playing in Philadelphia and everyone's rooting for Monmouth and and you know you're in that pressure where you know everybody wants to see this 16-1 upset. Uh it's it's pressure. And if you're if you're only focused on the result, or if you're if you're only focused on what's going on outside of your team or your culture, you're you're doomed to failure. It, The closer we get to the big games, the more we talk to our guys about what we can control and we can control our attitude and we can control our effort. And we never fear failure. Failure, we never fear failure as defined by the fans or as defined by the outside world, which is losing. In 2015, we were a number one seed and we lost to a number eight seed in the second round and we were crucified for, you know, being losers. And and we explained to our guys that year, and we still do it every year in this program that that team every day was committed to our core values. And in that game, until the last second, we played true to our core values. So it wasn't failure. To the outside world, it was, but to us, it was not failure, and it will never be. That team within our program is, is looked at as one of the great teams because we wanted the young guys to learn a lesson that you had, that team had the most wins at that time in the history of Villanova basketball in a season. So we said to them, what you did was you had great habits every day, and you brought it every day over a you know, a three month season for 34 games. I think we were 32 and two. Bringing a great effort every day is what you can control and bringing a great attitude every day is what you can control. That's what you did. So one game, you know, one day there were some circumstances maybe that we couldn't handle or maybe some circumstances that were out of our control that we lost the game. So everyone's gonna call us a failure, but we evaluate ourselves from within. That That's not a failure. So we've used that within our program to teach our guys going into March Madness. Hey, you're a one seed. You're playing a 16 seed. You're a one seed. You're playing an eight seed. Now you're a one seed. You're playing a four seed. There's no fear of failure. The, the only thing we fear is not living up to our core values and not living up to playing for each other and giving our best effort and having our best attitude. That's what we control.
1: Well, I think, Coach, that's why you're recognized for not just being a great coach, but also a great leader, because I think that's what great leaders would do: is stay focused on the goal and stay committed to the values that we've established. And I guess, you know, with that in mind, I'll I'll ask kind of a, a, a almost a roundup question, which is if there's one thing you could tell people who are listening today about ways to make their teams more effective there, whatever that team may be, might be, you know, better leadership role in your family, might be in the workplace, whatever it is. Uh, what would you distill that down to?
2: Well, great point, John, because all, all those are teams, right? And y- your family and um, your circle of friends, your, 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 your company that you work for, your, your group within your company, your, your division, whatever, they're all separate teams, right? And as leaders, what we've tried to do over the years is talk to our guys that that we we are a, we are a family, we're a team, and what we're trying to do is define how we're going to live, not just how we're going to work or how we're going to play in a game, but it's going to be how we treat each other after the game, how we treat the people we work with during the week. Um, how we handle success and how we handle failure. it Our culture and, and my, our job as leaders is to create a way we're going to live. So even if you you work for Hartford funds, even when you're not at work, you're a part of that team. So what you do in the community represents Hartford funds, right? And it's bigger than just what you're doing when you're working for us. It's what kind of person are you and how are you going to treat people and how are you going to handle success and how are you going to handle failure? That's the core values. It's, it's, it's as a leader, it's our job to, to build those core values. We have to be the keepers of the flame. We have to be lead by walking the walk and not just talking the talk, but not, to, not define what we're going to celebrate. like Like the example that, you you led me into which was great about that team in 15 that lost in the second round but won the most games in the history of villanova basketball we we didn't celebrate or 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 we didn't um kind of feel bad about the fact that we lost in the second round we were proud of the way we lived all year long the way we we handled everything that next year we we won the national championship and when we won the national championship it was about how we handled that too we we have a saying that that we we play for those who came before us it wasn't we didn't celebrate those guys that they were any better than the guys in 15 or the guys in 1965 that built this program everybody was a part of that The, the last one i'll leave you with is is this, the um, um, stone cutter. That if you look at a stone cutter tapping at his rock, he'll tap it at his rock maybe a thousand times before that rock breaks, but it wasn't that thousandth blow. It was the, it was all the blows that came before that. And when we won the championship in 16, we said to the guys, hey, it's not, this, this isn't about you, this isn't just you. This is all the guys that have came before you that have built this. So how you handle failure, how you handle success. That's really what we define as leaders. And if we're going to keep those core values strong and that culture, strong, we got to make sure that, that we are always monitoring how we live, not what we celebrate.
1: Well, coach, uh, it, we come to about the end of our time together, but Julie would not forgive me if I didn't ask you, can we expect another Wildcats championship this year?
2: <laughs> hey, you know the answer. I, I can't promise a championship, but I, I promise you uh, we'll be committed to our core values. That's, And, and you know, each new year, you, you, even though you have some of the same guys back, they're different people. They have different expectations. So you got to get them recommitted to the core values. And you got new guys coming in. You got to get them to learn the core values and then commit to them. So by the end, we want to be playing the best basketball we can and we want to be the best Villanova team we can, which means be as committed to our core values as we can. If that's good enough to win a national championship, fine. If it's not, we'll accept our destiny based on the fact that we're, we're committed to our core values. So I know that's not the answer you wanted to hear, but that is really how we do it. It really is.
1: <laughs> well, well, good luck this season, Coach. I wish you all the best. Thanks, guys. Thank Great you so to much
0: for your time and the words of wisdom and all of the inspiration. And for those of you listening, if you want to learn more about how to optimize your own advisor team and in Coach Wright's words, live how to le- learn how to live all year long, click on the link in the show notes or please visit hartfordfunds.com slash teams. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Hartford Funds Human Centric Investing Podcast. If you'd like to tune in for more episodes, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter or YouTube.
1: And if you'd like to be a guest and share your best ideas for transforming client relationships, email us at guestbooking at HartfordFunds.com. We'd love to hear from you.
0: Talk to you soon.